This is an ABC podcast. While Rasham kills and terrorizes, representatives of the terrorist state have no place at sport and Olympic competitions. And it cannot be covered up with some pretended neutrality or white flag. Because Russia is now a country that stains everything with blood, even the white flag. That says Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, hoping to see Russian and Belarusian athletes banned at the 2024 Olympics. It's been a year since Russia's war with Ukraine commenced, and in that time, sporters grapple with how it might address the conflict. Now, 35 countries, including Australia, have signed a statement essentially backing Zelensky's position. Will the International Olympic Committee get on board? Should they? What kind of tangible difference might it all make? I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. Tracy Holmes is a senior sports reporter for ABC Sports. She also hosts ABC podcast, The Ticket, and this story... This story, Tracy, is smack bang in your wheelhouse. Last week, the news dropped that 35 nations, including Australia, had signed a statement around participation in international sport. What was that document and what was it seeking to achieve? That document was signed by uh, the sports ministers from mostly European, a couple of other democracies spattered here and there, including Australia, but those sorts of nations. And those nations have been big supporters of Ukraine in this war and the invasion um, that was launched by Russia a year ago. As we go to air tonight, Ukraine is under full-scale Russian assault. Explosions and air raid sirens have been heard in several Ukrainian cities, including the capital, Kiev. The document basically says we do not agree with the International Olympic Committee's stance of trying to find a way to allow Russian and Belarusian athletes, of course, Belarus has supported Russia in this war on Ukraine. Uh, We don't agree with you trying to find a way of letting athletes from these countries compete as neutrals. And we want you to review that. Now, they haven't given any sort of an ultimatum. If the IOC decides to say, thanks very much, that's your political speak, and I'm very happy for you to have that, but we do things differently here. We do things under the Olympic Charter, um, which says that we will not discriminate against athletes from any country. And we're still devising our plans over what a neutral athlete will look like from these two countries. But there has also been a a bit of a spark applied to this conversation with the Prime Minister of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, saying previously, if Russians and Belarusian athletes are allowed to compete at all, even under a neutral flag or that neutral term, then he will look at boycotting, pulling his country out of the Olympic Games. And of course, the concern then is that other nations will join that boycott and what will the Olympics in Paris 2024 actually look like if that happens? Ukraine has launched a marathon of honesty and I and I urge you to join. Let's dig into that idea of neutrality and competing under a white flag as it were. It seems as though the reason this has become untenable for some is that even if these athletes are competing under a white flag, they're still being funded by these states. So is it fair to say that's where this conversation has landed at this point? Yes, that has been the concern that was raised in the statement, saying that you know it's impossible to separate these athletes from the system they come from. While Russia kills and terrorise representatives of the terrorist state have no place at sport 
and Olympic competitions. That is true, but is that the athlete's fault? is the argument of the IOC. So the IOC is looking at going back and scouring through social media accounts because some athletes have been supportive of the war, others have not. My message uh, is always the same, you know, I I want uh, peace in all the world, all the countries. Actually, I don't know how many there are in the world, but every country, you know, that's what uh, I think every tennis player is going to say the same. Uh, And so, you know, if in any instance there was examples or evidence of an athlete supporting the war, there is no way they would be able to compete at the Olympics as a neutral. But who's going to do this? Who's doing the scouring? Who's making the judgment here? So these are all the questions um, that these 35 countries have about this neutrality which has been used before. And, and the point you raise about uh, the system inside places like Russia and Belarus, yes, it is very tied up with the political system. We know that. There's examples of, you know, CSKA Moscow that many people associate with a football team, but they also have gymnastics clubs. They've got uh, ice hockey clubs. They've got all sorts of sports that play under the CSKA Moscow banner, uh, which was originally set up as part of the military And it maintains its funding through that um, defence arm and the defence budget, but it's not actually a part of the army. And so these are all the the nuances inside countries like Russia that we find really hard to get good, hard, firm details on um, or an understanding of. But it is a fact. Uh, The military is very bound up and and the defence system and investing in sport. We know that many Russian athletes associated with the sport clubs of the Russian army and of security state agencies, including athletes who applied for championships and the Olympic Games. And if that's what we're talking about, then how far do we go in penalising the athletes who have no other choice? Because that is how the sports model is funded in those countries. You're incredibly plugged in in Olympic circles. How would you anticipate the IOC is going to proceed on this matter? Well, the IOC itself, they were one of the first international organisations to come out when the war happened because it was only days after the Beijing Winter Olympics finished in 2022. They came out very strongly and said, we advise all international sports governing bodies to not allow athletes from Russia and Belarus to compete in any of your events. If you've got any events planned inside those countries, as far as possible, take them out. Don't award events to those countries. They were really, really strong. They have since softened. So that kind of call that they put out was to last until effectively the end of the calendar year in December 22, when many people thought the war would be over. The war isn't over. But in the meantime, towards the end of the year, the United Nations got in touch with the IOC and said, we've got a few concerns over this thing and we know that you're looking at it now because the time is running out. And our concerns are this. You operate under an Olympic charter where the politics of nations is supposed to be put aside, where the youth of the world are called to come together like no other place on earth. Each of us knows what the Olympic principles are. Terror and Olympism are two opposites. They cannot be combined. And you're penalising athletes who did not decide to put this war on 
and have no say over whether the war continues or not, why should you be penalising those athletes when you say you stand for non-discrimination um, simply by the accident of somebody's birth? God forbid the Olympic principles are destroyed and Russian athletes are allowed to participate in any competitions or, or, the, or the Olympic Games is just a matter of time. Is the counter-argument that if we're protecting the human rights of Belarusian and Russian athletes, who's protecting the human rights of the Ukrainian athletes who perhaps can't compete, perhaps can't return home safely? Is that the other side of the argument? There is that, but this is where that argument kind of crumbles and we need to look back at history on this, okay? And Australia was caught up in this. Back in 1979, Russia invaded Afghanistan. Jimmy Carter was the president of the US at the time and he said, okay, well, I want Russia out of Afghanistan and if you don't pull out, we're going to pull out of the Olympics because in 1980, the Olympics were going to be held in Moscow. And so that went on. He called Malcolm Fraser, the Australian prime minister at the time. Malcolm Fraser bought in and said, yep, we'll join the boycott. The Australian Olympic Federation, as it was then, said, well, hang on a sec. We don't exist with you picking our teams and you deciding what we do. We are neutral. We exist as independents outside of your machinery and your politics. And we're going to have a vote on this and we'll decide what we do. And it was 6-5 they elected to go. So the Australian team was then completely divided because Australian athletes were written up in newspapers and, and television reports and radio news bulletins as traitors to the nation if they were going to go. The federal government offered to pay money to athletes to stay behind. Um, some of the young athletes and the IOC members at the time, Phil Coles was the chef de mission of the Australian team. Uh, they were receiving death threats. It was really ugly. It really split the nation. Anyway, the Australians, most of them, went. Uh, they marched into the opening ceremony in Moscow under the Olympic flag. So essentially, as neutrals. This is the sort of neutrals that we're talking about uh, with regard to Paris 2024. But years later, Malcolm Fraser actually said, you know, I look back on that and that was bad policy. And it put really, really unfair pressure on the shoulders of young athletes who essentially do gather at the Olympic Games. And if the Olympics doesn't stand for this, what does it stand for? It's a fascinating story and one we're really going to have to keep an eye on because it'll be really interesting to see how the IOC proceeds from here. Tracy Holmes, thanks so much for your time. Patrick Stack, thank you. The haters might argue that this is Baz Ball's first real setback, but from where I'm sitting, it just continues to deliver absolutely thrilling cricket. Sure, England lost to New Zealand by a solitary run on the final day to draw the Test Series. But if you buy the POM's religious zeal about saving Test cricket, then this is certainly contributing to that cause. The Kiwi-coached English team seemed poised for victory after forcing the Black Caps to follow on earlier in the match, but the home side roared back into the game to win. That makes the Kiwis only the fourth team in Test history to overcome a follow-on. The last team to do so, India, led by VVS Laxman in a historic win against Steve Waugh's Australia. Amputee Machin Alexi has won football's goal of the year prize at the FIFA Annual Awards. The Polish player competes on crutches and scored an incredible overhead kick to claim the honour. <laughs> 
it was even more spectacular than that sounds. Lionel Messi and Alexia Puteas won the men's and women's awards respectively for the best player. The Matildas have announced they will play France on July 14 in Melbourne in their final game before the World Cup. The game is being billed as a send-off fixture, which is kind of odd because they are hosting the tournament in Australia. And North Melbourne coach Alistair Clarkson has defended his confrontation with the Channel 9 reporter after previously apologising for clashing with the woman. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Poppy Penny. Thanks to the ATP Tour, Fox Cricket and Amputee Football Poland for the extra audio used in this episode. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.